Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 15th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Nothing Shall Separate Us, will be taught to us by Pastor Ed Lutz out of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Our God is at work in the lives of his children, even through the sufferings of this present life. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It does not say all things ultimately are gonna make you happy, that God is gonna cause all of your plans to come out okay and, and cause you to succeed and help you to realize all of your goals. Good here means that God will bring something redeeming out of what has been wronged in this life, to grow more Christ-like, to be more like Jesus, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he has you. He is at work in your life. Trust that God is in control. The details of life will one day be given to us. But the fact that we can celebrate the fact that our God is sovereign over all things is a good thing. Go back to when you were seven or eight, eight maybe nine years old. How many of you were forced to take piano lessons? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, keep them up. How many of you still play? Ah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I'm going to show you something on the screen. This is not meant to cause any anxiety attacks, but let's take a look at it. Do you recognize that? Oh, please, Pastor, don't ask me to play that. Some of us, that just brings back some memories of, of tortuous practice. But I see, a, I see a treble clef and a bass clef, 4-4. Four, four. I see a time signature. All kinds of symbols on there. And somehow you got to take those symbols and find where those things are on the keys of the piano. But what do you notice to the far left there? You see the letter P. Here's your quiz. What does that stand for? Piano, so when you play that note, you play that note extremely softly, right? Go all the way to the right near the end of that measure and you got a double F. What does that, Italian word, what's that word? Fortissimo. Fortissimo. Oh man, it feels good just to say that word. (laughs) That doesn't mean just loud. That means you play that as loudly as you can. And what you see in between the the P and the double F is you see that cone-shaped symbol Crescendo, very good. So when you see the crescendo, what the goal behind that, that piece of music, you're supposed to start softly, gradually build in volume and intensity. So when you get to the crescendo, you're letting loose, it's stirring, it's powerful, it's moving. Music moves us, doesn't it? Well, we are, I believe, getting to the crescendo of Romans chapter eight today. A lot of people think Romans chapter 8 is one of the greatest passages in all the scripture, and I would say that the text that we're looking at today might be the greatest portion of Romans chapter 8. It truly is the crescendo. Paul's been building all through this chapter with some incredibly profound theological truth, and what I'd love for us to do is to look at that. If you are in Romans chapter 8, we are going to begin in verse 31. If you need a Bible... There's a couple different versions in front of you at the seat back. In front of you, it's on page 1046 or 944, if that helps you. 
But let me read for us, starting in verse 31, and then we will ask the Lord to bless our time. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I could really just sit down at that point, right? Is there any doubt what Paul is saying to us this morning? But let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we are indeed grateful for your word. We are thank you for the clarity of scripture. What incredible truth. And I just pray that there is anyone here today who is wondering or questioning whether or not they're a child of God, that that would be abundantly clear that those who have placed their trust in Jesus are forever children of God. And if there are those here this morning who are not sure, Father, would you just work on their hearts that they could see the profound love that you have for them and the future that you desire as well. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Well, main idea, if you have your app, we have a main idea for today, and it's pretty clear what that is. If you walk away with anything today, here's our point is that there's nothing that can separate us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are eternally secure. A lot of discussion out there today. What do you believe about the eternal security of believers? Once saved, always saved. Paul makes it clear that nothing can separate us from the love of God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are eternally secure. series of seven questions. That's going to be the first point. We have seven, really, there are seven security-affirming questions, questions that drive home that truth. And then Paul's going to end, secondly, with just a statement of absolute certainty. If you weren't convinced by the seven questions, he's just going to lay out one more sentence that's just going to blow our minds and give us that absolute certainty that if we are in Christ, we are eternally secure. So let's look at the first question. What shall we say to these things? These things, that's a context-type question, isn't it? It's a summative question. If you have been here for the last couple weeks, you know what those things are. Paul has just written 30 verses here. And so what he does in verse 31 is he just basically gives a summary statement. What do you think about all the things that I've just told you? Well, just for a sake of review, let's look at those things. I'm going to go fairly quickly, but we're going to just look at 
chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not stand condemned. Verse 3. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness requirement of the law could be fulfilled in us. You see, Jesus was condemned in our place that we could be made righteous. And Paul's like, what do you say to that, church? That's pretty good news, huh? Go over to verse nine. nine. You are in the spirit. Verse 10, Christ is in you. Verse 11, if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will also give life to your mortal body. Someday as a believer in Jesus Christ, our body will be put in the ground, but guess what? That body will come back up someday just like Jesus was raised from the dead. What do you say to these things? That's good news. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, we are adopted. We get to call God Abba, Father. And that the Spirit, in verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are children. And not only children, but as a child of God, we are heirs of God. All that God has in heaven awaits us, and we already have inherited that as God's children. Verse 18, there's suffering in the Christian life. But the sufferings of this world, believers, are not to be compared with the glory that we're going to see someday when we're in the presence of Jesus. Amen. What do you say to that? What do you say to these things? Can you see and hear the crescendo? You get over to to verse 23. We wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And verse 26, is life difficult? Do we experience times of weakness? Of course we do. But the Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness. He, he prays to God for us on our behalf. Verse 28, what we talked about last week. Oh, I hope you were here last week. If not, you need to go back and, and watch that message. Verse 28 says that all things work together for good for those who love God. If you are a child of God, we may not understand why things happen in this life, but we know that God is good. And because God is good, his plan and his purpose is always good. We know that he's working things together according to his sovereign plan that ultimately is for our good. We see near the end of this chapter, not only has has God foreknown us, he's predestined us. And as believers in Jesus Christ, he's called us and he's justified us. And it's already such a done deal that we are already glorified when God looks at us. What do you say to those things? Can I get an amen? Amen. That's the context of that verse 31. So what do we say to those things? Is there any doubt of the goodness and the sovereignty of God? Second question, if God is for us, who can be against us? He asks a question and then he gives an answer and it's a rhetorical question. So if God is for you, what's the obvious answer? Who can be against you? No one, no one. It's already a fulfilled condition because God is for us. Since he's for us, no one can be against us. We know in Psalm 27, we see that the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall we fear? The answer is no one. Psalm 46 says that even if the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea, the Lord of hosts, he is with us. Psalm 23, pretty familiar psalm to many of us. 
Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with us. Psalm 56, in God will I trust, I will not be afraid. That is such good news. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. No one. Anybody grow up with a big brother or big sister? I grew up with a big sister. One day on the playground, you're having that bully come up to you, and he's just kind of pushing you around, shoving you around, and there's no way you can take on that guy, right, or that big girl. So you go home, and you tell your mom and dad. Dad tells you to tough up. Mom tells you not to strike back, and so but you go into your room, and what am I going to do? The bully's going to be there tomorrow. Get a knock on the door. Here comes your big brother or big sister and says, hey, I just want to know, when you go to school tomorrow? When that guy, that girl comes up to you, I got your back. Sure enough, you show up the next day. Here comes that bully, starts shoving you around. Your big brother, your big sister steps in front of you and says, hey, buddy, you messing with Eddie, you're messing with me. Isn't that, isn't that good news? Conflict over. If your brother or your sister is for you, that conflict is done. Well, think about that. We have almighty God for us. If the sovereign God of the universe who created all things, all powerful God is for us, no one can be against us. What a statement. Next question, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's gonna give us all that we need. And the reason he's gonna do that, because he's already given us the greatest thing that he could possibly give. Who is that? His son, Jesus Christ. See, it's an argument from the, from the greater to the lesser. If God has already given you his one and only beloved son, his most precious son for you, and by the way, God gave his son for us, according to Romans 5.10, when we were enemies of God. So if God, while we were enemies of his, gave his only precious son, now as a child of God, is there anything that God can't do for us? He already gave the greatest gift while we were still sinners. And now as children of God, can God meet us where we're at? Can God meet our needs? Of course he can. Why don't you flip in your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six to the left. Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel of Matthew has five really long teaching discourses where Jesus gives these pretty long sermons. This is a really long recorded sermon that Matthew has given us. And in the middle of the sermon in chapter six, Jesus is trying to tell us, hey, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. And he, and he points out the, the birds of the air are able to fly, and yet God takes care of them. You've got flowers growing. They're clothed in beautiful array. And we get down to verse 30, it says, but if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. If God gave his only son, will he not give us the earthly provisions that we need, believer? Of course he will. But not only does he give us our earthly provisions, but he gives us our eternal provisions. Did you know that it says, this is an incredible verse, Ephesians 1.3 says that God 
has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God's not only got us in the present, but he's got us in the future if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. See how these questions just continue to affirm and build on the fact that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are eternally secure in him. Let's look at the next verse, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Really, this question and the next question takes on this courtroom metaphor. So imagine that you're in a courtroom. Someone makes an accusation. They bring in a witness and they start bringing these accusations against you. And Paul asks the question, who can bring a charge against any of God's elect? God's elect is simply those believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ. We saw last week that as a believer, God has called you. He's predestined you. You are elect of God. And so can anybody bring a charge against those who have trusted in Jesus Christ? The question asks, can we do anything so bad? And can people accuse us of sin so egregious that God's up there in heaven and says, oh man, <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, that's really bad. That's it. Out of my family. No. How do we know that? Because it says that God justifies. If you've been with us through the book of Romans, what does that mean? God has declared us not guilty. We're not guilty before him. We are in a position of righteousness. Jesus died to give us his righteousness. So as God looks at the believer in Jesus Christ, he sees his son. If you go over to Romans chapter four, just flip over just a couple pages. This is some good news. Romans chapter four. Verse 24 says that Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our what? Justification. Not guilty. Innocent. And then chapter five, verse one, therefore, because of that incredible truth, since we have been what? Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are declared not guilty in God's eyes. So can anybody bring a charge against us? No. Now we know we have an enemy. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 tells us that Satan, this is what he does. All day, day and night, Satan is at the throne of God accusing believers, making accusations against us. But in Jesus Christ, we are not guilty. We are declared righteous. That's good news, isn't it? Have you ever been incessantly attacked day after day? Maybe you show up to the workplace, somebody's got it against you, somebody at school. All they do is verbally barrage you, tear you down, gossip about you. At first, you're kind of maybe dismayed, right? What, what brought that on? Then you start to get angry, wanting to lash back at them. If you hear it enough, People start accusing you enough and bringing all these accusations against you. You may even start to believe it. But I, can I tell you, believer, as, a, as one who's trusted in Jesus Christ, you don't have to believe those accusations. No one can bring a charge against you in terms of your sin because God already has justified you and made you righteous. You are clean before him as a child of God. What great news that is. Verse 34, another courtroom metaphor. Who can condemn? Who can condemn? 
So some, a witness brings an accusation. Now it's time for the verdict. Who is to condemn you? Who can condemn you? Pronounce a sentence of guilty. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed right now interceding for us. You see, that's an intercession. It's a substitutionary intercession. We should be condemned for our sin, but Jesus is interceding in that he took the condemnation for us. The spirit we read earlier in Romans 8 prays for us, intercedes for us, and as we pray here, Jesus is interceding for us in the sense that he is taking our condemnation that we deserve, and he took that upon him. Jesus died. And there he is right now. Right now, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's in the position of power and all authority and all rule. And he is interceding for us, taking our condemnation for us. Why don't you turn to the right? First John chapter 2. This book is almost at the end of your New Testament. Again, think of the courtroom metaphor. You're standing in court. People have brought accusations. Now they're trying to have a pronouncement of condemnation. And we get all the way over to 1 John chapter 2, and the apostle writes this, my little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. You know what that word is? We have a defense attorney. Jesus is in court with us, and he's pleading our case. And what's his case? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Essentially, he satisfied the holy requirement. He took our place. He died in our place, and he is our defense attorney. See, it's his condemnation instead of ours that makes us right before God. And talk about having a good lawyer on your side. There it is. So can anyone condemn us? No. No because Jesus was condemned for us. Got to camp out on this one. I'm looking out and I, I see a lot of this. And so I know we can acknowledge this, but I'm wondering if in our heart we really, really believe this. Some of us might come from a religious background where we had a whole list of do's and don'ts, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, say this, don't do this. Had to go every week, confess everything to somebody. Maybe you grew up in a legalistic home or you grew up in a home where you had some parents who were extremely harsh the way they spoke to you. And then what we start to do is we start to be self-condemning. Well, yeah, and I, I know what you're saying and I know you're saying that Jesus took my sin, but if you really knew how bad my life was, you would think twice. And so we start to do self-condemnation. You're thinking, in the church like this, Certainly, there's somebody in this church, if I really came clean and I told them what I did yesterday, they would start to condemn me and judge me. So I know what you're saying. But let me ask you, is your family a mess? <laughs> My family's a mess at times. We're just the family of God. We're a bunch of imperfect people. But the heart behind the gospel is that we as believers in Jesus Christ would love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. 
Well, this is a burden we don't have to carry anymore. Jesus was condemned in our place. This is transforming. So whatever it is that you're carrying with you, man, you're just continuing to whip yourself on the back and tell yourself, I can't be good enough. I'll never be good enough. Exactly. That's why Jesus came. God, I don't, I don't deserve God's love. Exactly. That's why it's called grace. Jesus came. And for those who've trusted in him, we are justified. We are no longer condemned. See, it has nothing to do with what we do or don't do, but it's all about what Jesus did for you. And this is incredibly good news. Well, let's just wrap up here as we look at our, the next couple questions. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Boy, that's encouraging. <laughs> that's the life of the believer? It's interesting he asks, who shall separate us? And then he gives us a bunch of what's, a bunch of escalating circumstances here. There's always a who behind the rut, right? If you're going to be persecuted, that act of persecution, there's a who behind that. And so that's why he asked that question, who shall separate us? Give you an illustration. Been to the hospital, gone to the emergency care. They're gonna check you out. Usually they say, hey, we're gonna check you out this morning. Five hours later, you're still sitting there, right? But eventually you will be checked out. And the nurse comes in and they, they give you your paperwork. And then there's a list of symptoms that, that you might encounter over the next day or two. Do they give you those list of symptoms that you may endure to frighten you? No, just the opposite, right? Hey, this is normal. Don't be surprised if some of these things come your way in the next day or two. This is all just part of the healing process. And so I think what the Apostle Paul is doing here, he's, not, he's just basically saying, hey, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the things that you're going to face, just part of the game. Tribulation, those things that just come upon you, that it's all the outside pressure. Distress, when that pressure comes, you start to feel it inside. You start to feel like it's, you're being squeezed. And then here comes outright suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, persecution. If it gets to the point where it's severe enough, you could lose your job. You might be thrown in a jail cell like the apostle was. You don't get any food. He might steal your clothes from you. Now you're in real danger or peril. Your life could be at stake. And ultimately, some people hear us. The Apostle Paul ultimately did. He died at the hand of the sword. A lot of us look at our suffering. We say, man, I must not be a believer in Jesus Christ. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I think it should affirm the fact that you are. If this is what we endure as believers, that's just more evidence that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. We can expect these things. 1 Timothy 3 says that those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. So that's the reason Paul gives this. But can those things separate you? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, super conquerors. You are such a conqueror that it's like those things never even happened. This battle is over before it started, believer. You are a super conqueror through him who loved us. So there's the security. Do you have any doubt as a believer in Jesus Christ that you are eternally secure? Seven security-affirming questions. And Paul ends here with a statement of absolute certainty. Verse 38, for I am sure, 
I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life can separate you. Death can't separate you as a Christian. What does death do for a believer? Death is what unites you to Christ. When we die, we go to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. So death can't separate us. It's what brings us to Jesus. Nor life. Nothing in this life, which he's already given you there, can be so bad that it can separate you from the love of God. Nor angels, nor rulers. There's no angel. There's no holy angel in the angelic realm. None of the the spiritual messengers of, of God, the holy righteous angels of God, nor the demons. There's nothing in the spiritual realm that can separate you from the love of God. Nor things present, nor things to come. There's nothing so bad that can happen in this life nor in the future that can separate you. Nor powers. There's no earthly power. There's no spiritual power. He just said that. No, there's no person or no act of government that can separate you from the love of God. Nor height, nor death. That's a spatial comparison. You can go as far as you want in the universe or as low as you want. Within that span, there's nothing in between that can separate you from the love of God. And just in case he missed anything, nor anything else in all creation. That's basically everything and everyone. God is the uncaused first cause. God is the only being that has not been created, but everything that exists or has existed or will exist is creation, which means nothing, which means you. There's nothing you can do as one who is created. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of Christ if you are a believer in him. Talk about a mic drop. Well, let's end looking at one more passage. That's the Apostle Paul's words. And we can take that and believe it because this was Holy Scripture. But I'm going to take us to John chapter 10 as we end our time together. John chapter 10. Let's see what Jesus says. Can we do that? Jesus says in John chapter 10, starting in verse 27. And I love the shepherd metaphor. Jesus is our shepherd. We are his tender sheep. Look what he says in verse 27 of John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. He intimately knows us, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. There it is, right? Our eternal life is because of what God does. He gives it to us. We don't earn it. And I give them eternal life, and they will what? Never perish. Talk about an emphatic statement. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I call this the double-fisted love grip. Jesus is saying, I got you right here. You're one of mine and I got you in your hand and no one can take you out of my hand. Oh, by the way, God, the father, he's greater than all. and No one can take you out of my father's hand. Can you get that picture? We're in there. He's not letting go. Jesus isn't letting go. God the Father's not letting go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are forever his children. There's only one question left to ask. Do you know Jesus Christ? And can you say with absolute certainty that if you were to die today, you would be in heaven with him? Some of us might be in this room and we're carrying a lot of condemnation, a lot of guilt, believing all the accusations that people have been throwing at us. 
There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. We're going to sing a song here, a little bit different. We typically ask you to come down after church, but we're going to ask you to come down during the song. If, if there's a burden that you're carrying that you need to leave at the cross, if there's a, a condemnation that you've been placing on yourself that you need to release and, and live in the freedom and the reality that in Jesus Christ you are no longer condemned, come down during the song. If you want to know for sure that you have eternal life in heaven and want to talk to somebody and pray to somebody, come down as we sing. He is great. He is great. I'm sure some of us in the room this size are thinking, man, I should have come down. I could use some encouragement. Our, uh, our care team will be here afterwards. Feel free to come down and, and, and pray and just talk to somebody. We'd love to just minister to you in, in any way possible. You know, the longer I live the Christian life, can I tell you, I'm learning something. It's not about what I've done. It's not about what I'm doing or what I'm going to do. It's all about what God has done for me, what he's actively doing and what he will do someday. And what we learn today is that he has justified us. He has been condemned in our place and that we as children of God have an eternal secure future in heaven and nothing can take that away. Isn't that great news? So that's the reality. Now the challenge, who needs to hear that? Will you go find someone this week? Ask the Lord to put somebody in your life that you could share that good news with. I hope so. And now be the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you till we meet again until our Savior comes. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.